Bible's out tonight. Turn to the book of Ruth. The book of Ruth shouldn't be too hard to find. I told the young people that I was preaching to this morning, I love it when the preacher calls out a book that's easy to find. And so you as a preacher, absolutely. I hate uh, having to look for those books that are hard to find sometimes. So I'll give you an easy one to find tonight. The book of Ruth, and if you'll remain standing, we're going to pick up in chapter 1 and verse number 6, and we'll skip through a few verses and then we'll pray and let you be seated as we look tonight, continuing our series on a choice servant, as we look at the choices of those who God chose to use in his ministry. And uh, we're going to look at a good one tonight, one of my heroes, and that is Ruth. In Ruth chapter number one, as we look down, we're going to pick up in verse number six. We know the story of Naomi and Elimelech and how Elimelech and his sons have died. And now Naomi is going to take her two daughter-in-laws and go back to her homeland of Bethlehem. And we're going to pick up in verse six. The Bible says, then she arose with her daughters-in-law that she might return from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the country of Moab how that the Lord had visited with his people in giving them bread. Wherefore, she went forth out of the place where she was and her two daughters-in-law with her, and they went on the way to return unto the land of Judah. And Naomi said unto her two daughters-in-law, Go return each to her mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you as ye have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant you that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voice and wept. Now watch verse number 10. And they said unto her, Surely we will return with thee unto thy people. And Naomi said, Turn again, my daughters. Why will ye go with me? Are there yet any more sons in my womb that they may be your husbands? She tells them to go back to their people. So we're going to pick up, if we could, in verse number 15. The Bible, said, the Bible says, And she said, Behold, thy sister-in-law is gone back. She's speaking with Ruth. Back unto her people and to her gods. Return thou after thy sister-in-law. And watch what verse 16 and 17 says. We'll pull some of the meat of the message out of here. And Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave thee or to return from following after thee. For whither thou goest, I will go. And where thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people, and thy God shall be my God. Where thou diest, will I die, and there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if aught but death part thee and me. Watch verse 18. When she saw that she was steadfastly minded to go with her, then she left speaking unto her. Let's pray. Lord, I do thank you for your word. Pray you bless it now and pray that your will be done in the preaching in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I imagine just, well, I'll say I imagine. I know some of this from talking with some of you, but I imagine if we went around the room tonight and interviewed each of us that we probably all have family people that we're related to that we're not as excited about as other family members that we have in our family. Could we agree with that tonight? I would be the first to raise my hand and say, yes, I have some people in my family that I am not as excited to the fact that they are in my family. And I used to use the fact, I used to use the statement that you can't pick your family, which for the most part is true. I, I used to say you can't pick your family and you can't pick your church members, which most of the time is true. I wish you could. Uh, I'd pick all of the good ones and send all the bad ones to the other pastors down the road. But uh, you just got to take what God gives you. It's the same way with your family. You don't get to pick who your family is and all of us 
All of us have those weird fruits that have fallen on the other side of the tree sometimes in our families that maybe we don't want to climb uh, or we don't want to claim. But uh, I was thinking about Christ in that thought. You know, Christ is one of the few people who really got to pick who was in his family. You think about that. He got to pick who was going to be in his lineage. And this is what makes Ruth so interesting. Because if you'll notice, the Bible tells us that Ruth is a Moabitess, if you will. She is from the heathen far cousins of the Israelites and uh, always causing Israel trouble. And yet, what's interesting about Ruth is God would bring Ruth into the bloodline of Christ. So, when it came to picking the relatives and the lineage and the line that Christ would come through, God chose who he wanted in there. And the interesting thing is he chose Ruth to be a part of that. We go and find, we'll read through the lineages in the Bible, that Ruth would be the great-grandmother of David. You think about that, a Moabitess, you know, the Ammonites and the Moabites were always causing Israel problems, and they came from Lot's incestuous relationship with his children, and yet God chose Ruth, someone that may, you may not pick off the top of your head to be in the bloodline of Christ, and yet that's exactly who God chose. And so tonight, we're going to look at why God chose to write Ruth in the story. You know, God could have picked whoever he wanted to to be in the bloodline of Christ, and yet he chose Ruth. And I'll be honest with you, oftentimes we write people like Ruth out of the story. People like Ruth who come from the background that Ruth came from, we may not want to be a part of our story, and yet God included Ruth. And so tonight we're going to look at the choices of Ruth and the things that Ruth did that I believe made her desirable to be used of God. So if we could, look down to verse number 15. Verse 15, as Naomi ventures back to Judah, to Bethlehem, the Bible tells us that Naomi says, look, your sister-in-law has gone back. She's gone unto her people and to her gods. Why don't you follow after her? I'm going to my people. Why don't you go to your people? And verse 16 is one of the most emphatic statements in Scripture. The Bible says, Ruth said, entreat me not to leave thee or to return from following after thee, for whither thou goest, I will go, and where thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people, and thy God shall be my God. So even though the other sister-in-law has gone back, Ruth says, look, I'm going where you're going. And you can tell by how emphatic of a statement she's making that she's serious. The first choice I want you to see tonight that I believe is why God chose to use Ruth and include her in the bloodline of Christ. Number one, she chose commitment over convenience. Ruth chose commitment over convenience. Now let me explain to you. Ruth had an easy out here. Ruth could have easily gone back to her people and to her gods and just did what came natural and did what was comfortable. But she says, no, I'm not going back to my people and my God. She says, I'm going with you, and where you go, I'm going. And where you stay, I'm staying. And your God's going to become my God. She says, hey, I'm committed to you. I'm a part of this family now. Even though it would be more convenient for me to go to what is convenient, I am committed to you. Now, can I tell you something tonight? I believe you see in this passage of Scripture one of the things that makes Ruth a shining star and a chosen servant. It was the fact that she chose commitment over convenience. Now, I believe you can see commitment defined in verse 16 and verse number 17. Why? Because her commitment, listen, overcame what was convenient. 
I will tell you that the greatest threat to your commitment to the things of God, I believe this with all of my heart, the greatest threat to your commitment is convenience. I know as a pastor, I know as a youth pastor, I know as a children's minister, kind of coming up through the years in ministry, it's hard to get people to commit. It's hard to get them to commit, number one, to just basically church services, to commit. It's hard to get people to commit in their service to God. It's, look, it's bad when you can't get people to commit to fellowships. I mean, I'm talking about even ones where you eat at. I mean, you could tell how far backslidden the church is today when it's hard to get people to commit to eating services. Used to, at least people showed up for that. I mean, I guess the next thing that's going to happen is people won't even commit to Easter or Christmas. That's got to be the last straw. I mean, even heathen Christians show up for, for Easter and Christmas, but folks won't, won't commit anymore. Why? What's the greatest enemy to commitment? Convenience. Convenience. I can't commit to be there on this day, and I can't commit to do that, and I can't commit to, to, to a four-week Sunday service series because I've got this plan, and if I commit to that, it's going to inconvenience my schedule. Can I tell you tonight? Look, your walk with God should inconvenience your lifestyle sooner or later, okay, sooner or later. And we see in the life of Ruth, the reason that I believe she was a choice servant is because Ruth's commitment to Naomi overshadowed the convenience of going back to what was comfortable to her. You know, it's easy for me. Uh, I love to hunt. And man, I, I'm just telling you, I'm just loving the deer and the church and the antlers. And we're going to find an excuse to leave this up all year. We'll go from Christmas trees and we'll have Easter trees and then maybe Fourth of July trees. We just leave it up and just change the colors of the decorations. How about that? I love to hunt. And man, I, I'm making plans and getting ready to go hunt and getting the gun cleaned up and all of that stuff. And, and then you wake up and you look out the window. Man, the wind's blowing and there's ice hanging off the trees and just looking at it makes you cold. After a while, I'm thinking, you know what? I really can't afford to get sick because I got to preach on Sunday. And after a while, you've done talked yourself out of it. You know what that's called? Convenience. I wasn't very committed. You know, you're going to pick one or the other. You're going to pick commitment to Christ or you're going to pick convenience to self. Then I hate to tell you, but oftentimes, most of the times in the church of the living God today, Christians pick convenience and we wonder why God doesn't pick us for anything. Now look, we've talked about this all throughout this series. Nobody likes being the last guy picked. You know, you're standing there. I mean, they're going to outlaw that. We're as politically correct as our country is. They're going to outlaw picking teams. Because it hurts somebody's feelings, you know. I don't know what we're going to do when an invading army comes to our country and hurts our feelings. You can't, you can't invade us. You can't invade our country because that hurts our feelings. I wonder how they're going to take that. I don't think they're going to take it too well. But, you know, you hate me and the guy standing there and they, you know, basketball. And they pick the tall guy here. And they pick the tall guy there and the medium height guy. And, and, and look, you can't pick your jeans. You're four foot seven. And you'll never grow an inch. You know you're going to be the last guy that gets picked, and you're just standing there. Man, what an awkward feeling. Yeah, it's awkward, but you'll get over that. Can I tell you what ought to be an awkward feeling to us? When God doesn't choose us to do anything. Look, when God doesn't say, hey, I've got something for you to do. When God, listen, doesn't employ us in the greatest privilege on earth, being able to serve the living God. And you know why he doesn't? Because oftentimes he looks down and he sees that we, when we get to the fork of the road, rather than commitment, we choose convenience. 
Now, folks, this is not something. I told the Sunday school class earlier. I, 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 I did a, a quick devotion out of Romans 12, 1 and 2 about that transformation after we get saved. And it's an ongoing transformation. Wouldn't, wouldn't it be great if you got saved and you got transformed and you were set that way and you never went backwards? Oh, man, that'd be awesome, wouldn't it? Doesn't happen that way. Commitment's the same thing. You're constantly going to come to roads in your life of commitment or convenience, commitment or convenience. And I'll tell you, eternity will bear witness of the choice that we made, whether it was commitment or convenience. You're going to be hard-pressed to find anybody in Scripture who did anything for the cause of Christ who God looked down upon, as in Hebrews chapter 11. You go through Hebrews chapter 11 when you get home, and you tell me that the path that they took was the convenient route. You're going to have a hard-pressed time figuring that out. They're not there. But the reason that God chose those heroes of the faith and put them in Hebrews chapter 11, what we call the hall of fame of faith, is because they were committed in spite of the inconvenience. Now, folks, sooner or later, this is going to come to a head in your spiritual life where you've got to decide, am I committed to serve God in spite of the inconveniences that it brings to my life? By the way, it should. We're so used to convenience in this world. I'm I'm guilty, guilty, guilty. Man, I got up this morning. My father-in-law came in and surprised uh, Leslie to see her and Miley. I'm sure he saw me too, but I think he was really here to see her and Miley. But uh, he surprised the three of us, and uh, I, I had to pick him up. He parked his 18-wheeler out back, and, and so I drove him to the house, and he stayed at the house. Well, I had to get up real early this morning to bring him up here long before daylight to his truck. And I'm laying there in bed thinking, man, it's cold out there. I rolled over, and I took out my cell phone. I have a really unique app on my phone, and I touched this app that says Chevrolet. I went to the place that says Key Fob, and I cranked my car that has heated seats. You know, these kids are really going to miss out on what it's like to get in a cold car on a cold morning that doesn't have heated seats. You remember those days? You just, oh, you just were floating above the seat because it's so cold. I mean, I think that really, it really helped influence my character, really did, those cold vinyl seats, you know, not heated seats. Convenience. I mean, you can call McDonald's and they will deliver food to your house. I mean, no longer do you have to go after fast food. You can call Walmart and they will do your grocery shopping. I mean, before long, you're never going to have to leave your house. Convenience. And we like it. I like it too. But I hate to tell you, when it comes to the Christian life, convenience doesn't cross over. As a matter of fact, your Christian life is going to inconvenience your life. Because oftentimes, when you get that fork in the road, convenience and commitment, they diverge. And you can't take them both. So why did God choose Ruth? Because, man, look at verse 16. She is emphatic. Wherever you go, I'm going. Wherever you stay, I'm staying. Your people are my people. Your God's my God. The Bible says, where thou diest, will I die. The convenient thing would have been to go home. That would have been convenient. The convenient thing would be to go back to everything that she knew. The convenient thing would be to go back to her people and to her gods and lodge in her place. But she says, nope, I'm committed to see this thing through. No wonder God used her. I wonder tonight how much God would be able to use us if he saw that we were committed regardless of the inconveniences in our life. 
Isn't it amazing how you can feel the inconveniences when you try to live for Christ publicly? I've mentioned it many times. Just something as simple as praying over your food at McDonald's. You feel it, don't you? It's like everybody's looking at you. And you're like, ah. And almost the inconvenience of living out Christ publicly keeps you from praying. You do one of those nose-scratching prayers. You ever do one of those? It's a disguise. I mean, you're not going to sit there and hold hands and circle and pray. No, man. man, people think that's something kind of weird. See, it's inconvenience. But if we have the commitment that we should, our commitment will overshadow the convenience. Now, here's what I want you to see. I just want to walk through verse number 16, verse number 17, just for a moment before I give you the second point tonight. I want you to notice the details of her commitment, okay? Notice the details, and I want you to notice the different areas of her life that her commitment inconvenienced. Notice what she says. She says, for whither thou goest, I will go. Notice her commitment inconvenienced the way that she went. She was so committed, she says, you know what? The way that I would go, I'm not going to go. I'm going to go the way that you're going. And I believe tonight, listen close, a true commitment will sooner or later alter the course of your life. If we're truly committed to the cause of Christ, sooner or later that commitment is going to alter the way that we go. Notice she says, whither thou goest, I will go. You see, she was that committed. Now, can you imagine what we could do for the cause of Christ if we were committed enough to follow Christ, to go where he goes, no matter of the inconveniences it's going to cause us? And I believe that's one of our problems tonight. So often we see see Christians, and man, they desire to do well. And it's in there. Look, when you got saved, you got the same thing I got. The Holy Spirit of God come and dwelt in our heart, and he stirs us up, doesn't he? And man, you want to go serve God. And then on Sunday morning, boy, you hear good singing. Your spirits are lifted. Your spirit's stirred. And you're getting ready to go out there and charge hell with a squirt pistol. And then you get out there. And all the inconveniences begin to pile up. And the inconveniences decide which way you go. Rather than your commitment deciding which way you're going to go. I was preaching to about 75 teenagers today at Lighthouse Academy. And was talking to their youth pastor there today, and I said, if we don't turn out some young people that can stand in spite of the inconveniences, I said, there's no hope. There's no hope. We've got to turn some young people out of our Christian schools and out of our youth departments that are going to be so committed that the inconveniences don't even tip the scale. So we notice, number one, watch, it influenced the way that she went. Let me read this for you. You know it well. In Hebrews chapter 11, we have the account of Moses. Listen close what the Bible says about Moses in verse 23. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hid three months of his parents because they saw he was a proper child. They were not afraid of the king's commandment. Notice Moses' parents did not allow the inconveniences to hinder their commitment. Then watch what Moses does in verse 24. By faith, Moses, when he was come to years, you see, now it's time. When it come to years, it means Moses has come to the crossroads. What is the crossroads? It's commitment or convenience. So Moses' parents did not heed the inconvenience. They stayed committed. And now when Moses comes to years, would it be a blessing, mom and dad? If all of a sudden our children saw our commitment over inconvenience, that when they came to years... When they got to the fork in the road where the inconveniences of Christianity could not deter them from their commitment to Christianity. Oh, wouldn't that not be a blessing tonight? 
But wait a minute. The Bible says in verse 25, or verse 24, by faith Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Can I tell you what that is? That's inconvenient. Being the son of Pharaoh's daughter is a very convenient position. I mean, he probably had the best parking spaces. Uh, he, man, he probably got to go to the front of the lines. Uh, he probably got free food. I mean, you think, look, being the son of Pharaoh's daughter, that's convenient. I mean, you talk about knowing people, he was the people. He was the people that everybody else wants to know. And the Bible says he refused. He came to the fork in the road, and there was convenience, and there was commitment. And the Bible says this. I love what the Bible says in verse 25. Choosing rather to suffer. Choosing. Isn't that the goal, mom and dad? To raise them that when they get to the fork in the road, that they choose commitment over inconvenience. That's the goal. Look, you know we're not always going to be here. I hope I live to be 150, and I hope my daughter lives to be 150. The odds are I'm going to leave this world before she does. And look, right now, I'm standing at the fork of the road this way, this way. This way. And so far, she's doing all right. Yesterday, she says, Dad, I'm just going to have to trust you on that one. I was like, yeah, that's it. Just trust me. So right now, I'm standing here pointing. I'm standing here pointing, but one day, Dad's not going to be there to point. And I hope when she comes to that fork in the road, when she's come to years and there's convenience and there's commitment, that she follows the example of mom and dad. And she chooses to be committed over the conveniences of this world. Psalms 37, the Bible says, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. That means my commitment to Christ already determines my direction. It's not about convenience. The decision's already been made that when I've committed to follow Christ, I've committed over convenience. You see, that's the definition. If your commitment is only based on convenience, that's not a commitment at all. Can you imagine when you got married and the preacher says, you got your vows and you're about to give your vows and, and you said, well, not till death do us part, you know, till, you know, you know, a knockdown drag out. Let's just put it there. Or till burn meatloaf. I imagine you would hear that record stop right there. The thing's, no, no. I'm not choosing you. Why? Because you're not committed. Commitment does not have a contingency based on, listen, what's convenient. Folks say commitment is, hey, I'm following you. I'm going where you go. I'm going to live where you live. I'm going to die where you die. Your people are going to be my people. So notice verse 16. We notice that her commitment determined the way that she would go. Once you're committed, there's no choice to make. You know which way you're going. But the second thing is quite interesting. You look down and she says, whither thou goest, I will go, and where thou lodgest, I will lodge. Watch the next part. Thy people shall be my people, and thy God, my God. Notice not only did it influence the way that she go, but it influenced the company that she would keep. Isn't that interesting? Once she decided to be committed to Naomi, it meant that she would now be keeping company with the people that Naomi kept company with. You know, you can't be in Moab and Bethlehem at the same time. You can only hang around one group at a time. And she says, you know what? Because of my commitment, your people now become my people. And here's what's sad tonight. It's sad that our commitment to Christ does not affect our fellowship with people. 
It's sad tonight that our commitment to Christ is so thin that when our, when our commitment is challenged by the inconvenience of not being able to fellowship with another group of people, she says, you know what? I'm going to go fellowship with your people, so that means I have to turn my back on these people. She said, that's just the cost of my commitment. The problem, I believe today, why God can't use any of us is because our commitment is paper thin and our commitment to Christ will not hold up against the inconvenience of some of our old friends. And I believe tonight that's why God can't use us because our commitment is just that thin. 2 Corinthians 6.17, we know the scripture, well, come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord. Come out from among them. You can't be at both places at the same time. Galatians 5, the Bible tells us, walk in the Spirit, you'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh, for they're contrary one to another. The Bible says, so that you cannot do the things that you would. What does that mean? It meant that, that Ruth could not be in Moab and Bethlehem at the same time. She could not be in this region with these people and this region with these people at the same time. So she had to commit. And that's our problem tonight. I believe we've gotten to the place where our commitments are very, very thin and very, very shallow. And by the way, let me throw this in here just at the end. It's not just physical fellowship. Do you know you fellowship with what you watch on television and what you listen to in your earbuds? That's fellowship. Uh, be careful, mom and dad. Look, uh, the, the kids' shows that used to be kids' shows, I mean, they're just little soap operas anymore. I mean, you watch Disney Channel. We was in a hotel the other day, and Disney Channel was on when we got there. And look at, Man, it was just like a soap opera. Kids going out here. I mean, fifth and sixth and seventh graders, they're going out. My question is, where are they going? What are they doing? Putting the basket of their bicycle and going down to wards for some ice cream or something? I mean, it's just, you know what they're doing? They're training our children when we should be. We've got to be careful. Listen, we've got to be careful. Our commitment to Christ has got to be of such that it affects the, the people that we fellowship. She says, your people are now my people. The problem is, we say we're committed to Christ, but we're still hanging out with the people at Moab. That's not a commitment. Notice it says in verse 17, where thou diest, I will I die. Well, above that, notice, and thy God shall be my God. Not only did it affect the way that she go, not only affected the people that she kept company with, but it also affected who she represented. Notice she says, your God is now my God. I'm not going to represent the gods, plural, little g, lowercase g, of Moab. I'm going to represent the one and true God of heaven. Here's what's interesting. Real quickly, look at chapter 2, verse 11. I want, you to sh I want to show you the testimony of Ruth. You say, well, everybody says that. God's my God, and I'm a Christian. Watch what verse 11 says. Boaz has been watching Ruth. The Bible says, and Boaz answered and said unto her, it hath fully been showed me all that thou hast done unto thy mother-in-law since the death of thine husband, and thou hast left thy father and thy mother in the land of thy, of thy nativity, and art come unto a people which thou knewest not heretofore. Do you know what verse 11 is? It's her testimony. It's the testimony of her commitment. Boaz says, I've heard. It's been showed to me. We've been watching you. Her commitment, listen, was not a verbal commitment. Her commitment was a true, genuine commitment of her life. Where you go, I go. Where you live, I live. Where you die, I die. And your God's going to be my God. And Boaz says, I've seen it. Now, let me ask you tonight, folks. If people are watching, and by the way, they are, I wonder what's been showed unto them. What have we showed them as far as our commitment? 
Notice she committed and Boaz saw it. There's this weird idea in Baptist churches today. I'm sure it's in all churches, but this is the only kind that I preach in. In Baptist churches today, that commitment is invisible. Can I tell you, it's not. Her commitment showed up in the eyes of Boaz. He says, it's been showed me. I've seen what you've been doing. And folks, if we have a true, genuine commitment to the cause of Christ, it ought to show up. Where does it show up? In the way that we go the people that we fellowship with, and who we say we represent. She said, your God is my God, Boaz says, I see it. So let me ask you this tonight. Does your walk with God show more of a commitment, or does your walk with God show more of convenience? Let's let that sink in a little bit. Our life, our walk with God, Ruth's walk, it showed in her testimony that she was committed. Boaz says, you've backed up everything you said in verse 16 and 17. And when people compare what we say about our commitment to what we show about our commitment, I wonder what it truly says. Maybe tonight that's why God is not using us. Because we're not committed in spite of our convenience. So number one, I believe the choice that Ruth made, she chose commitment over convenience. But number two... Notice when she finishes telling Naomi this, look down in verse number 18. Verse 18, it says, when she, this is talking about Naomi. The Bible says, when she saw that she was steadfastly minded to go with her, then she left speaking unto her. So verse 16 to verse number 17, this is the bold statement of Ruth. Now, I want to be honest with you. I think we're all capable of verse 16 and 17. We're all capable of making very bold statements about our faith and about our commitment. I'll be honest with you. If you're not careful, before, before you know it, you'll be in a conversation and you have exalted yourself and you have put yourself somewhere that you're not even close to being in your walk. So she states this bold statement of verse 16 and verse number 17, and it's bold. But notice what verse 18 says, that Naomi noticed when she saw that she was steadfastly minded You see, it's one thing to state it, and it's another thing to stick with it. So number two, and I may not have my grammar correct on this, but notice number two, she chose resolve without reconsidering. She chose resolve without reconsidering. Now let me explain. In verse number 10, Naomi says, go back to your people. Verse number 15, she tries again, go back to your people. Finally, she sees in verse number 18, she's not just saying that she's committed, she is resolved. That's what that word steadfastly means. She is resolved. Once Naomi saw that she was resolved, she's not just making a statement of commitment, she's making a stand of commitment. By the way, they're very much different. You can make statements about being committed to Christ and what I'm going to do, like me on days where it's very cold and I don't feel like getting up and going hunting. I'm committed, but I'm not resolved. I've made the statement, but I'm not willing to make the stand. Can I tell you one thing I'm sure about, just based on my life, and if you're anything like me, maybe you've experienced this as well. There's one thing I believe that Satan is very well-versed at. It's getting Christians to reconsider their commitments. What What is Naomi doing in number 10? She says, go home. Verse number 15, go home. She's trying to get her to reconsider. Finally, when you get down to verse number 18, she sees not only is she committed, but she's resolved. Big difference. Look, what was it? Uh, Was it Monday? Monday. I'm not a diet guy. 
I really don't go on diets, you know, because diets are kind of a fad. I try to do more of a change of lifestyle. And uh, once I reach the place where I feel like, okay, I'm fixing to have to buy new clothes, well, then I go on a diet. And it kind of changed my lifestyle up a little bit. So Monday, I got in the car, I drove myself to Walmart. And I'm fixing to buy me some healthy foods, Brother Jim. I decided. I bought zucchini. I bought some stuff. I bought tamarinds. I don't even know what tamarinds are, but they were on clearance. And so I bought them. We're going to try them out. Maybe it's some kind of miracle food or something. And I bought cantaloupe and I bought avocados and all kind of good stuff. And I've been keeping my calories around 1,200 uh, each day. That's how I lost weight last time. So I'm going to do the same thing this time. Keep them around 1,200. And Monday was, was easy because I'm just like, Ugh. I'm going to lose weight. I'm not going to be a fat preacher. It's not going to happen. And Tuesday, woo, you know. And, and then today, my wife and I, she rode with me when I went to preach in Alabama. And we uh, went out to eat with the preacher. Ugh. You know, you don't want to offend somebody. And you're looking at all of this food. I made a commitment on Monday. But oh, how my resolve was tested today at the Panda Buffet or whatever that place was called. I even brought some of it home with me. I, you know, I said, I'm not going to eat it all at one sitting. I felt better about that. I'm not going to eat it all at one sitting. You know, I'm going to eat it all, but just over a long period of time. I let my body burn some of it up. You know, before I, it works for me psychologically. You know, you do it too and you know it, okay? And so my commitment was easy to make, but my resolve was hard to keep. That's the word steadfast. There's the word take a, the word stand, okay? You stand. That's the decision. This is where I'm going to be. But steadfast means stay. The Bible says that Naomi saw in Ruth that not only did she make a verbal commitment, but she had resolve. She was unwilling to reconsider her commitment. That's what resolve is. When you're unwilling to reconsider the commitment you've made to follow Christ in spite of the inconveniences that come along the way. Ephesians chapter 6, we know it very well. The Bible says, Wherefore, take in you the whole armor of God, that you may withstand in the evil day. Now, that word withstand and that word steadfast are very similar. The word withstand means you've taken a stand, and now you've got to withstand the blows. You know, I used to live in, on the Atlantic uh, coast, literally. I had about 30 feet of grass, and there was the beach and the Atlantic Ocean. It was right out the back door of our house. And the houses that are built on the Atlantic Ocean have to be built to a code to withstand, okay? They're already standing. They're there, okay? They're not imaginary. They're there. But they have to be built. If a hurricane came on shore, I believe it's a category three or four, they have to be able to withstand. What does that mean? It means right now they're standing. But they need to stay put, okay? That's the way it is with our resolve. You make a commitment, this is where I'm going to stand, but only resolve will keep you there. I fear tonight, I really do, that in our Christian homes, in our Christian hearts, in our churches today, we make commitments to stand, but we don't have much resolve to stay standing. In the end, what's going to matter, you know, we love talking about what we believe, don't we? Well, I believe this and I believe that. That's great. But in the end, all that really matters is what you back up. It's not what you say you believe. Well, I believe this and I believe that. Yeah, I've seen better people and better men than I fold many, many times. Why? Because they may have believed it in a verbal commitment, but they were not willing to back it up with resolve. Don't be surprised if God can't, if God doesn't use you, if you don't have some type of resolve. We see people all throughout Scripture, and they may not be great, mighty warriors that we look at, but I want you to think about Nehemiah. I love Nehemiah. 
You look at my first preaching Bible. Man, I preached out of Nehemiah so many times. It's yellowed right there. love preaching about Nehemiah. Here's Nehemiah. I don't picture Nehemiah being this big hulking soldier. I just see Nehemiah being a faithful man of God, doing the will of God, what God called him to do. And he's up there on the wall working. Here comes Sanballat and Geshem and Tobiah. Why don't you come down? Why don't you come down? What are they doing? Well, he's made a stand. We're rebuilding this wall. This is the will of God. He says, you have no right and no portion here. Oh, buddy, he's made a stand, a bold verbal stand. But now he has to withstand. Now he has to have resolve to be steadfastly minded. That means, okay, I've made a stand. I'm up on this wall, and I love what chapter 6 says. Nehemiah says, I cannot come down. You know what that is? Resolve. Resolve. Did God use Nehemiah? You better believe it. 52 days, rebuilt this massive wall. Why did God use Nehemiah? Because he came from a famous Bible college. That's why. Because his dad, his grandfather, and great-grandfather were, were famous preachers. No, he used Nehemiah because Nehemiah was not only willing to commit in spite of the circumstances and the inconveniences of a broken-down city, but he was willing to back it up with resolve. You're not going to talk me down off the wall. He says, why should I come down and the work cease? I was thinking this afternoon, I was trying to, to, to kind of search my mind and find one of the things that have really tested my resolve most in my life. And the first thing that came to mind, Miley, forgive me, was parenting. If there's one thing that will challenge your resolve, it is parenting. My wife and I, we found out we were expecting. She thought she had a stomach virus. Sorry about that. And uh, it was not a virus. It was Miley. And uh, Miley's Greek for virus. No, not really. But I uh, went to the doctor, and we're sitting there in the doctor, and uh, I'm playing on the doctor's computer. I'm not joking. He's walked out, and I'm sitting there goofing off. Used to, every computer had Minesweeper on that. You remember that? You click on it, you blow up. I'm sitting there playing. He walks in the door, and I just kind of just, this is in Hattiesburg too, by the way. And we just sit there, and um, I said, well, what is it? He looks at her, and he says, well, how would you feel about being a mommy? Not a virus. Something a little bit more permanent. And boy, we get in the car. We're just kind of quiet. We're excited. We're, we were excited, I promise. And we get in the car and drive off. And she says, I just feel like we go to Walmart and buy something for the baby. We didn't even know what we are having. We just want to go buy something. We bought those baby on board stickers. You know, that's what everybody does back then. Now they have all these gender reveals. They didn't have those when we were around. So we didn't get in on that. But here we are not long after that with this little girl. And man, we had all these good ideas watching other people raise their kids. We have kids. You know you did it. I'm not just going to go pick them up when they're crying. They're just going to have to learn, you know. They're going to stay in their bed and all of this. And So not long. She she was in the bassinet for however many months you're supposed to be there at the end of our bed, and we would take care of whatnot. But she got to where she could stay in her room on her own. And she laid on that bed, and she was clean, and she was fed, and she was just throwing a fit to get out of that bed. I could look at her face and see the sin nature that her daddy gave her right there looking back at me. It's something about daddies and daughters. You know, my wife is just like, whatever, you know. No, she really wasn't. <laughs> I'm just looking down, and she can't tell it, but on the inside, I'm just sweating down. My little daughter, these big old eyes looking up at me, and her lips just quivering, and, and I'm just like, I got to pick her up. I got to pick her up. 
I go back to my bedroom and I just start praying, Lord, help me. I'm, look, I'm just trying to do right. I'm trying to make sure we train her up and raise her up in the way she should go. And she, I go back and look, make sure she wasn't choking on something. She's all right. No, she just wants to come in our room. That's all it is. Now remember what the Bible says. Proverbs chapter number 19, verse number 18. The Bible says, chasten thy son while there is hope. And spare not for his crying. Spare not. What does that mean? It means the crying is going to test your resolve. And you're going to have to choose to spare not. And so we lay there in bed. We're, trying to, we're being good parents, right? Yeah, we're being good parents. All right. We keep encouraging each other, you know. And uh, Why don't we watch a John Wayne or something? We used to watch black and white John Wayne's laying in bed, trying to take our mind off it. Man, it was tough. What was happening? Our resolve was being tested. Our resolve was being tested. The Bible says, spare not. Spare not. It would have been so much more convenient to go pick her up, and that way I get a little bit more sleep. But I had to choose to be committed. And I want to tell you something tonight, folks. We spare too easily. I'm not talking about in our child ring and everything. I mean, look, the world cries and we give in. We spare for their crying. Our coworkers cry, oh, a little bit of ridicule, a little bit of persecution, and oh, we spare for their crying. No wonder God does not use us. And remember the first half of that verse, chasten thy son while there's hope. It means you've got to hold out. That's the only hope is that you hold out and you don't give in look, to the pressure that's coming from the crying. And I assure you, if you want God to use you tonight, you're going to have to learn to spare not for the crying and for the inconveniences that come along the way. Let me hurry tonight. First Peter chapter 1, I'm going to read this to you, and you can jot it down, or, or you can turn there with me tonight. First Peter chapter number 1, look down, if you will, to verse number 7. See, I just lost First Peter. There he is, found him again. First Peter chapter 1, uh, I want you to look down to verse number 7. The Bible says this, that the trial of your faith being much more precious than, than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire. Now, I want you to key in on the last, these next three words. Might be found. The Bible says the trials of our, our, of our faith, and look, you come to that crossroads where commitment or convenience, it's trying. It's trying. You're going through this agony of just giving in to the sparing for the crying of the world and going with what's convenient or staying committed to Christ and your faith is being tried. But notice what the Bible says. The trying of your faith is much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, and the key words might be found. That means that you go through the fire, that when the fire is over, you have something. You possess something that's real and something that's eternal. Why? Because you were committed in spite of the fire. You know what's convenient? Getting out of the fire. It, you know the old, the old joke about the guy who put down the horseshoe? You know, it don't take me long to look at a hot horseshoe either. Throw that thing down. All right? I want to get out of the fire. I don't want to go through the fire. But the Bible says we've got to be committed. Why? So that something might be found. You get that? At the end of this life, at the end of the trial of continually taking the commitment path instead of the convenient path, you want to have something because that's what you're going to lay at the feet of Jesus, what came through the fire. But if you're not committed and you take the path of convenience, you're not going to have anything. 
Let me ask you this real question real quick before I give you the last thing. The last thing is the shortest. How easy is it for you? How easy is it for Satan to talk you out of your stand? How easy is it? How much crying does the world and the devil have to do to get you to give up on your commitment? Look, if it's real easy, don't be surprised if God doesn't choose you to do anything. So number one, we see her commitment in spite of, her, of the convenience. Number two, she chose to be resolved and didn't reconsider. The last thing is, is probably my favorite, and I alluded to it earlier. If you would, turn to Matthew chapter number five. I'll give you this and let you go. Or Matthew chapter one, I'm sorry, verse five. Matthew chapter one. And I want you to look down. Look at verse one first, Matthew 1, 1. Matthew 1, 1. The Bible says, the book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. So here we have the genealogy of Jesus from Abraham. And we're not going to read all of the genealogies in verse 2, verse 3, verse 4, but I want you to look down to verse number 5. And Salmon begat Boaz of Rechab, who is Rahab. The harlot. And Boaz begat Obed of Ruth, and Obed begat Jesse, and Jesse begat David the king. The last thing I want you to see is really a result. She chose commitment over convenience, okay? She chose to be resolved to not only make a commitment, to be back it up with resolve, resolve without reconsidering. She would not reconsider. The result of that we see in verse number five of Matthew 1. She chose a legacy of the Lord. This is the result. Now, please hear me out. This is not going to take but a moment, but I want you to see the beautiful picture of what God ordained before the world ever began of how his, the lineage of his son would unfold. Listen close. Because of the direct choices of Ruth. Because Ruth chose to be committed instead of convenience, because Ruth chose to be resolved and not reconsider, listen close, down the line, we find Christ in her family tree. She has a legacy of the Lord. All because of the choices that Ruth made. Now here's what I want to ask you tonight. Bring it all together and I'll let you go home. What will be the heritage of what you're committed to and what you're resolved to? Think about that. Let that sink in for a moment. Because Ruth was, was committed and because Ruth was resolved down the family tree, we see Christ. He's there. Because of her commitment and her resolve, Christ is in her family tree. And I wonder tonight, what you're committed to and what you're resolved to what would be the heritage of that? You know, I know, I know folks, look, we're, we're committed to our pensions. Nothing wrong with having a pension. Honor and glorify God with it. But is that all our kids are going to have? I got to work, work, work. Man, I got to save up that money. I got to stack up that money and put all that money so that one day my kids can have money. Oh, how sad it would be that you spent all of your time committed and resolved to that and neglected Christ, and that Christ not show up somewhere down the line in your family tree. 
Can I tell you, uh, on my mom's side, my mom and dad, my grandfather was here Sunday morning. My mom and dad, dad's out of town preaching tonight. Uh, I have them, and then my grandparents, and my great-grandmother was the last charter member of her church. And it goes back as far as we can remember. Can I tell you something tonight? As a great-great-great-grandson of all of those people, I'm thankful for the commitment and the resolve of those who put Christ first in their life. Why? Because there's Christ down the family tree. There's a verse number five where Christ shows up in Jeremiah Andrews' family as a result of their choice to be committed and their choice to be resolved to the cause of Christ. So let me ask you again, what will be the heritage of what you're committed to? What are you committed to tonight? What would your coworkers say that you're committed to, your family that you're committed to? All right, go ahead and get it locked away. What's going to be the heritage of that? Well, Ruth's commitment and Ruth's resolve... We see Christ showing up down the way in the family tree, and ultimately that's all that's going to matter one day. That money is probably going to ruin your kids. The property, I mean, I'm sure they'll enjoy it, but nine times out of ten, it seems like they sell off the family farm. But man, what they're going to need is Christ to show up somewhere down the line. And boy, he shows up. And old David can look back down the line and thank great-great-great-grandma Ruth Thank Rahab. Thank you for them putting God right in the, the right place of their life because we see Christ showing up here again. I'll tell you this tonight. I'm done. Your commitment, your commitment and your resolve will determine your heritage. Your commitment and your resolve is going to re- determine your heritage. If you're committed and resolved to a football team, look, I love my football team. You notice I haven't mentioned those three letters in probably about three weeks. I don't want to quench the spirit or jinx the team. But, you know, if Miley grows up and decides that she wants to be a heathen and, and, and pull for Florida, that's, that's fine. That's not going to affect anything. But, man, if, if she grows up and she sees that heritage of commitment and resolve to Christ and Christ shows up in her life, it will be worth every sacrifice and inconvenience you had to make for it. I want to encourage you tonight. Let me ask you, what will be the heritage of your commitment and your resolve? Ruth chose to be committed over inconvenience. She chose resolve over reconsidering. And what was the result? It was a legacy of the Lord. And folks, tonight, why don't we allow God to challenge our commitments tonight by showing us what the outcome is going to be? So our heads bowed and eyes closed. Our heads are bowed and eyes are closed. We'll finish up there. I'm going to ask our pianist to come and we'll have a moment of invitation.